1 John chapter 3, we're going to be reading 11 through 19, or going through 11 through 19. And let's begin there in verse 11. For this is the message, which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Our text in it today has, it has unbridled passions of the heart. Uh, speaking of Cain and his brother, it has the true grit of the Christian walk and an extensive labor of love. As we look at the text, you don't see those things until we dive into them and then we will see them. Which in the end of the text, God's word will show us a blessed assurance that we have just from looking into his word. This letter of, from John to the church is crucial. It is crucial. It is crucial for us to receive it, for us to, to muse over it, for us to really and fully, truly take it in because it shows us an assurance of eternal life. And there's not a person in here today that does not want an assurance of eternal life in paradise with our God. Everybody want to go to heaven. Amen. Matter of fact, when people die, somehow ministers preach them there. We know that that's not actually the case, but everybody wants to go. And so John takes this opportunity to show us if we have what it takes to get there. Do we have eternal life or do we not? It is important to go over why the letter is given every single time we meet. I have preached over the book of John for several months now, this first, first letter. And I asked some people the other day, why is John given to us this first letter? I don't know. I have no idea. So I'm going to say it again. It is given to us why? So that we can have assurance that we have eternal life. That is why it is given. So if you want to know that if you have eternal life or not, or if you do, if you want to know that, you can turn to 1 John and you can read through these chapters and you can take the test, examine your heart to see if you are in the faith. And as a matter of fact, the scripture teaches us to make sure that our calling and election is sure before him. We are to look into our faith. We are to examine it daily. It is not to be a once a week thing, but we are to examine our life through circumstances and through different uh, periods of time that come through us or come, come at us during the day. We are to examine our life to see if we're in the faith. And so this is something that we have to do. It's not an option. It was written for the first century Christians. And it's absolutely written for us today. Absolutely written for us today. This letter... Uh, combated Gnosticism. We've talked about that. It had come into the early church. And it's still in the church, a form of it. It's still in the church today. You say, how is Gnosticism still in the church today? Let me give you an example. Matter of fact, Paul writes about this. Let me give you an example. A form of Gnosticism today says, we are saved, so we have liberty to do as we wish. 
I know Christians that, that they say that they're saved. And so they get together and they drink casually and, and they have big parties, but they're saved. They're saved. It's all washed under the blood. And Paul says, God forbid that we do that. Listen to what it says. Romans 6, 14 and 15. Now understand, that's, that teaching is a lie. And that's what Gnosticism, a form of it, was teaching in the first century church. Well, here it is, it, 2022, and that lie from the enemy is still prevalent in the church. We can do what we want, how we want, when we want, and still expect to be saved. <laughs> And that's just not the case. It's just not. We don't own ourselves. Which means we do not have the right to do with ourselves what we want to do. This is what Paul teaches us. And so this goes against Gnosticism because Gnosticism teaches that, you know, since, since we are spiritual and we have the Lord, that... All flesh is corrupt, so there's no matter in trying to perfect it. We can just do what we want. That goes against God's Word. There's a race to be run. There's a victory to be won. And we must be true to our Savior. Period. Do I fail at this? Yeah, you bet. That's the whole reason why it was written for the church. Right? Listen to Paul in Romans 6, 14, 15, and 16. Listen to what he says. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He says, shall we keep on sinning just because we're under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? What's Paul saying? Paul is telling us clearly that we are not allowed to do as we wish, but rather we are to obey the one that we are under. Yes, yes, amen. And if the Lord owns us, then that is Him. Yes. And we don't have the right to do what we want. This is stepping all over my toes this morning. Because this is hard. It's, this, is, this is not easy. This is where the scripture becomes practical. Amen. Applicable. We don't have the right to do what we want. We, do, we don't own ourselves. The last time I checked, he paid a great p- price for us. Yeah. And if that was the case, then he owns us. Amen. And we are to do what he tells us then yeah. to do. So if under grace, we're not free to do as we wish, but what he tells us to do. Verse 11, let's read it. It says, 
For this is the message which you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. For this is the message. Do you see that message? Listen to what it says. This is a message. We have received a proclamation. That's what it means. A proclamation. And if received, then we should live by that proclamation. He didn't give it just to blow hot air. He gave it for us to live by it. And what is that proclamation? What is the message? Now, I'm asking my two girls this morning because I told them to take notes, my two oldest ones. The message that's been given to us is to love one another. Now, you girls write that down. Because I'm going to ask you later, I promise. And they've not done anything. They're not in trouble. I just told them they're 11 and 13. It's time they take notes. They can, they can sit and they can understand and they can take notes. We're to love one another. The Gnostics would have said, well, since all flesh is corrupt, wicked, and there's no good, we can abuse it and we, we can do what we want to, physically harm others, we can do what we want. But this is not what the Scripture teaches us. We can do what we want without repercussions. I don't think so. It just ain't, it just ain't the case. As brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be love there. And not unbridled passions of lashing out that we're going to see in our next verse. Listen to John's example that he gives us in verse 12. Now we know Cain, and we know all sins, one sin will put us, put us without, the, without the Spirit of God, one sin will put us in hell. And listen to what Cain did. He murdered his brother, didn't he? Listen to what it says in verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one. What does that mean? He was of his father, the devil. And slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. The the word tells us that we are not to be as Cain who murdered his brother Abel. And we're not just talking about an actual murder. I'm not talking about that. We're going to look at, he's going to go further into this in just a minute. Listen to me, church. I I want you to see this. Cain's heart. Cain's heart was provoked by envy. It was jealous. I mean... He was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. How much murder had he seen? Zero. Cain hadn't seen murder. But his heart devised it. And it came up. And it came out. And it led to an outburst of un bridled passion and he took something up and he smote his brother with it and he killed him but it just didn't start in his hands it started in his heart it started in his heart 
Verse 12 tells us that he belonged to the evil one. Listen to what verse 13 says. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be shocked that there is hatred from the unrighteous to the righteous. This is, this is, this is what the scripture teaches. It's going to be. If you are following after the Lord, you can bet that the unrighteous are going to do what they can to hamstring you. To cut your Achilles heel. Cut that tendon. They're going to do what they can to, to make you gimp. It just, it just is what it is. This is what happened with Cain. They will hate us. However, with this hate, what we got to remember is with this hate from the unrighteous to the righteous, that does not give us the right to reciprocate those emotions and those feelings and that hatred to the unrighteous back to them. The scripture teaches us not to answer railing for railing. Evil for evil. This is very clear. John tells us rather to love one another. Listen to what it says in 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Those that are in Christ... If you want to know if you've passed from death into life, if you want to know that you have eternal life, then you will love the brethren, the saints of God, the family of God. You will love them. And we're going to get into that just a little bit and, and talk about that. But listen to what it says. One surefire way to see if we have passed from death, being dead in our trespasses and sins, and being made alive in Christ, one way to see if that has happened in our life is if we love the brethren. So John here gives us another example to see if we have that eternal life. This is particularly hard as a Christian when we're in the church. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because I can look out on you and I can see your faults and your failures just like you can look on me and see mine. Plain and simple. And as a pastor, I learn more about Everybody, because everybody is quick to tell me everything about everyone. (laughs) I'm just saying. Right or wrong. That's true. Even though they ain't supposed to. It's true. So here's the problem. And this is it. How do we love one another when we know all of their pigginess, when we know their moodiness, when we know their faults, when we know their failures, when we know what they did 25 years ago? How do we do that? How do we love them despite those things? Judy just said it. 
It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. John speaks about loving one another. So much so, first because Christ did, but second, because the church needs a constant washing and reminder of it. Let me give you an example. If you make a meal with a man, now let me just say this. Before, before I had my gallbladder taken out, I couldn't, I couldn't eat meat. I couldn't eat anything greasy. And it was bad. I mean, it was really bad. I got to where all the only thing I could eat was oatmeal. And Casey told me, she said, Matthew, listen to me. She said, you eat so much meat. You're going to get flabby and you're going to get weak. If you don't get some more protein, some red meat in your diet. I said, baby, I can't do it. I'm hurting so much in my stomach. I can't do it. I can't eat it. And I love it. I love any type of meat that I can eat. I just do. But I began to get weak and I began to get tired. I had pains all over my body. I wasn't recovering as quickly after I did something strenuous. All I was eating was oatmeal. And when I say oatmeal, I'm talking, you know, the little oatmeal packs, the Quaker oat packs. I was eating five at a sitting. For breakfast, for lunch, and yes, for dinner. And you say, how can you eat that much? Well, when that's all you can eat, that's all you can eat. And I'm sorry I got a big appetite, but that's just true. You can ask my wife. I went through several boxes, more than more. I went through a box of it two days ago. So I was eating a lot of stuff, but it just wasn't doing for me what I needed. One reason John teaches, preaches, and talks about the love of Christ and us loving one another so much is because it is the meat that we are to eat. It is good for the church. And one reason why I believe Grace Baptist Church, one reason why I believe this Grace family is so strong, even though it's small, it is mighty. And the reason why I believe that is because for years it has been taught, it has been preached, but also it has been practiced. Practiced. I believe it wholeheartedly. And you say, give me an example. I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Because then that would mean me giving you examples of of other people's failures and then some people overlooking it. And I'm not going to do that. But just this last week, I had the privilege of seeing this exercised in the church. I'm talking beautifully exercised in the church. This is what John is talking about. Loving one another. It's alright to have the green beans and the corn, the mashed potatoes and gravy, and the okra. But man, I want some of that T-bone steak on there. And it ain't just strong doctrine that gives us meat. It's the love of Christ. Where we find this at. We've got to have it in our diet. 
in the church. John is telling us these things. Not all churches practice this agape love. Let me tell you right now. Did you hear me? Not all churches practice this. But I believe it's a truth here at at Grace. It's hard because we do know everything about everybody. It's a small congregation. But just like with my parents and my brothers and sisters, I know everything about them from the time they were little bitty. And I still love them. It's hard, but I still love them. And as a body, we have to do just that. Those that can't love are still in a state of death. Spiritually void of love, spiritually void of life. I'm not talking about struggling when it comes to loving. I'm talking about completely void of it altogether. It's one thing to struggle to love another in the church, one of your brothers or sisters. I'm not talking about that. Praise God that you're struggling because if you're not, then we have a problem. I'm talking about being completely void of it altogether. Verse 15, listen to what it says. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now John here clarifies what it means to murder. He's not talking about the actual deed. He's talking about if we hate someone else, it's just as bad as the actual deed. Jesus said this too, didn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount about hate. Where does it start at? Where does this hate start at? It starts in the heart, doesn't it? Everyone who hates, who hates his brother is a murderer. The reason why this teaching is so easy to, to understand in theory, so easy to amen, so easy to say, yes, Lord. The reason why it's so easy is because it's right there in front of us. We understand and we know the right answer. But it's a total different thing to practice that, isn't it? Verses 12 and verses 13 show us why it's so hard to practice that. What does 12 and 13 tell us? It tells us that Cain hated his brother, murdered him. Listen to 12 and 13 again. This is why it's so hard to practice the love of Christ. Listen to 12 and 13. Not as Cain, who was the evil one, slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. It's hard to show this love when others hate. But the Scripture is clear that we have to do it, right? Have to. What happens when somebody starts hating on us in the flesh? One of the first things that a person does, and I'll just go ahead and say it because I do it. 
One of the first things a person does when somebody starts hating, whether it be in the church or out of the church, you're a child of God, you're righteous, you've got the righteous seed dwelling inside of you, person starts hating on you, what's the first thing we do? Strike them dead, Lord! <laughs> yes or no? Strike them down. Take them out if you have to. Reward them, Lord, for what they've done. And I'm not talking about with blessing. Reward them the right way. You know, Lord, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Does our heart go there or not? Mine does. But we know that that's not the right answer, don't we? See, David's heart went there too. And don't tell me that you're more holy or more special than King David. There's a whole list of imprecatory psalms that David penned. Where he speaks about the Lord taking vengeance on his enemies. Psalms 109 is one of them. And in Psalms 109, he talks about it over and over and over. Lord, take them out. We can't pray that. We have to love. Plain and simple. I can talk about King David later, but right now, the Scripture teaches us we have to love one another. Plain and simple. Our flesh cries out, take them out. But the Lord says what? Love them. And this is the true essence of Christianity. This is what sets Christianity apart from the other religions in the world. Is that we love one another. I want you to listen to what Paul says, and uh, Brother Brant, who was here last week, read this text, and it was actually in my text to read, which I thought was pretty cool, but listen to what it says in Romans 5, and we know these verses, and if not, then you need to write these down and go back and remember them, because John's example is not just of himself, but he uses the greatest one that ever lived as the standard bearer for this principle. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us as well, listen to what it says in 5 through 8, concerning loving those that are not the greatest people in the world. Listen to what it says. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. And so uh, John is going to show us here in just a moment this very concept. That Jesus displayed, that Jesus also taught, that Paul taught, and now John is teaching as well. Listen to what it says in 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. In verse 8, we've heard it, and it never gets old hearing it, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And this is what John is driving at in our text. This is what he's driving at. Guess what, guys? We've made it to 12 o'clock. I want you to sit for a few more minutes. i got three more verses. This is what John is driving at here in our text. It's talking about a self-sacrificial love to those that don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Some people don't deserve it. But we have to remember when we think about the standard bearer Christ that we didn't deserve it either. But He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, He poured out that agape on us, didn't He? So we have this problem. We have this issue that we have to contend with. Verse 16, listen to what it says. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here's the problem. How can we lay down our lives for the brethren? How can we do this? We can't without the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's how we know we've passed from death into life. The problem is that we cannot demonstrate this love that God has demonstrated. We can't do it without Him. Without the Spirit of God dwelling in us, this is, this is impossible. The Holy Spirit produces and it cranks this out in our life. Galatians tells us what? That it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, so on and so forth. So, if you don't get anything else, listen to this. A mark of a true believer that has eternal life is agape love given from heaven above. Agape love given from heaven above. If you don't hear anything else, that's a mark of a true child of God. Let's move on. I want you to, I want you to pay attention. Listen, look, I got, I got that page and just a little bitty page. So keep up with me. Now pay attention. I'm not talking about a general benevolence to other people. I'm not talking about someone just that is, that is kind and, and naturally has a kind heart or a caring heart that may be seen publicly. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about someone who serves humanity and, and just gives out food because they don't want to see somebody hungry. These are all good things. But it's not necessarily the agape love of Christ. There's a lot of wicked people that don't want to see a child starve. But that doesn't make them saved and it don't make them eternal going to heaven. Plain and simple. The agape love of Christ comes from above from the Holy Spirit. 
and enables us to love others as Christ loved us in our faults, in our failures, and in our sins. This is that agape love, self-sacrificial. Some kill for their gods. Some people kill for their gods. We're commanded to love for ours. Plain and simple. Verse 17, but whoever has the world's good. Now listen, here comes application. Here's where it, here's where it begins to, to get real. Talk is cheap. Listen to what it says. Whoever has the world's good and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? This is the fundamental practical application in the text. John tells us, just like James tells us, just like Christ tells us, just like Paul tells us, if we have been blessed of God and we see someone who has a need and we don't help them, then our faith is dead. And we are not born of God. And it's evident that God's love is not in us. Remember, James told us that, right? And he says, what? Faith without works is dead. Jesus speaks about this, and I talked about it a couple of Wednesday nights ago, this parable. Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 16 and 9. About the good steward, or the, the, un, the unrighteous shrewd steward, I'm sorry. Who made plans for eternity? Who made plans after he was laid off and after he was fired? Christ goes on to tell us about giving to those in need because that's for when we enter into heaven, those friends then will welcome us. In that parable in Luke 16. So we have Jesus speaking about this. We have John teaching it. We have James. Going on and on about it. It's pretty important that we practice it, right? Amen. If we've been blessed of the Lord and we see someone who has the need and we don't help them when the Spirit prods us to do so, y'all know what I'm talking about. By show of hands, when the Spirit prods you to do it, let me ask, let me ask you this. Has the Spirit prodded you to ever do that before? Give. To somebody in need. Alright. Now, with that being said, your responsibility when that happens is to do it. Plain and simple. Verse 18. And you know, what I, one thing that I think that is so neat about the local assembly is that the Lord gives some a lot, and He gives some a little. Amen. There are some that are rich, and there are some that are poor. But they still belong to the Lord. Amen. And He uses that wealth or that poverty to grow us in our faith to Him, but also in love to one another. I can't explain how he does it or why he, why he makes some very, very wealthy and makes others poor. 
That's in his mind to do. But we know that it's true in the church. And we're then to go and to exercise what he's called us to do. Listen to 18. 18 and 19, I'm done. Listen to it. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Actions speak louder than words, right? This is what he's saying. Talk is cheap. It's not wrong to tell somebody you love them. It's not wrong to, to, to give them a compliment and to, to encourage them. But it's altogether different when you show them that through your actions. It just is. Let's move on. Verse 19. Here it comes. We shall know. Let's do it says what it says. We shall know. Does that mean that we might know? No, it means that we shall know. By this, by what? Loving indeed and in truth. We shall know by this, loving indeed and truth, that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before Him. And this is a beautiful passage because here comes the assurance. This is the assurance of that eternal life that the whole book is written about. What what does it mean to be assured? It means to pacify or to quiet an accusing conscience. Boy, isn't that beautiful to hear? When that accusing conscience comes to us or that guilt or that shame comes to us. But we can take the test and according to God's word... We can take it and we can know that we have eternal life and quiet or pacify that conscience. Listen to what it says in 19 again. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before Him. We can have this blessed assurance that we belong to Him and we can have confidence To come before Him because we know that we are of the truth. So it's not just about saying, oh, we know we have eternal life. No, we can have confidence. I mean, we can have this blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. This means that when we are unsettled, that when we are restless... Have you ever been like that in your Christian walk? Honestly, have you been unsettled and restless in your Christian walk wondering if you are a child of God? Yes, we all have. But here in our text, we have this blessed assurance that quiets quiets all of those things. By taking this test in Scripture, we can know. So those that by faith, listen to me, and I'm done. Those that by faith display, not just with word, not just with your mouth, but those that by faith display agape love to the brethren are of the Lord and have eternal life. And those that don't, well, (laughs) they don't, right? It's not about talk, which is cheap. 
about a heart that is not like Cain's. It's about a heart that's like Christ's. Right? And so this morning you can know that you have eternal life. Do you have that love for the brethren that overlooks faults and failures and a multitude, multitude of sins? Do you have that love? Examine your heart. This is about eternal life. Let's pray.